are listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. Today, we listen to Dr. Louis Blevins talk about silent corticotroph adenomas and a very informative discussion on the recurrence of all pituitary adenomas. Here's Dr. Blevins. Good morning, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins podcasting today from sunny Sausalito, California. Today I wanted to briefly review an article that was published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, volume 104, pages 1039 to 1048, year 2019. The title of the article is Recurrence of Silent Corticotroph Adenomas After Primary Treatment colon, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And this is from a group that's uh, in the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Um, Maybe a couple other hospitals were involved as well. I found this to be a very interesting paper. Uh, I have long felt that uh, silent corticotrophic adenomas are more aggressive than uh, non-silent corticotrophic adenomas. Uh, and probably one of the more aggressive subtypes of pituitary adenomas as well. A silent corticotrophic adenoma is a tumor that looks like a non-functioning tumor in that you see no evidence of Cushing syndrome. You may have associated hypopituitarism because of the size of the tumor, but it's clinically silent. And uh, we detect that it's a corticotrophic adenoma by doing immunochemistry on tumor that's resected at the time of surgery so that when the pathologist does the immunochemistry, it will show that this is an ACTH-producing pituitary adenoma. Obviously, it was not an ACTH-secreting adenoma, or the patient would have had Cushing's. Now, there's another possibility here is that it does secrete ACTH, but the ACTH that's secreted is not biologically active. Uh, So it may be a cell type that is unable to release ACTH from the cell, may be unable to cleave uh, pro-opio-melanocortin, or what we call POM-C, which is a precursor molecule to ACTH, and release that appropriately. Or the ACTH may be misprocessed, and you get a non-functional molecule that's uh, circulating in the bloodstream. As a result of the lack of clinical features of Cushing syndrome, these tumors usually become rather large, and sometimes they're invasive and aggressive. So uh, this... uh, topic is something that we had previously published upon uh, in about the year 2013. And just to sort of um, state our experience and and, uh, my experience through my entire career, we found that in our group of patients with uh, these uh, silent corticotroph adenomas, we had 75 people that were able to study. Uh, The recurrence rate was about 27% uh, over time. Um, and when we compared that to 1,726 patients with non-functioning pituitary adenomas, in other words, non-functioning tumors that did not secrete or stain for ACTH, uh, they, uh, and, and taking out the silent corticotroph adenomas from that group, the recurrence rate was 6.9%. And I think that points to the fact that these are probably tumors that are more aggressive uh, and more likely to recur over the long run than uh, uh, our non-traditional non-functioning pituitary adenomas. And we feel that doing immunochemistry on these non-functioning tumors, even though you see no features of acromegaly or Cushing's or prolactin or whatever, 
allows you to help subtype lesions. So when we find the silent corticotrophic adenomas, we might be a little bit more aggressive in the management of those patients if they have any uh, uh, MRI uh, evidence for residual disease, for example, if it's a regular non-functioning tumor, you might watch that and not do radiation unless it starts to grow. But if it's a silent corticotrophadenoma, you might do radiation sooner rather than later because of the high risk of recurrence or progression of residual disease, if you will, in those patients. So our experience and our paper that we wrote guides our clinical decision making and i believe those results are true and it's sort of what i've observed over the 30 or so years that i've been doing pituitary medicine this paper uh, that's published uh, to get back to the paper and away from the prior paper basically um, looked at 297 patients in the literature over 14 studies, and they found that uh, the recurrence rate to be 5.96 per 100 person years. That's a very odd way to report a recurrence rate, uh, but it sort of accounts for the fact that some studies are short duration and others are long duration. So that if you had a 100 person years, you're going to have six recurrences. So, you know, if you followed 10 people for 10 years, basically that's 100 person years, you might have six recurrences or so to speak. That's one way of looking at this, I think, but it's very confusing. What's more important, I think, in this particular study is that they looked at follow-up less than five years and greater than five years. And if you looked at follow-up for less than five years, it was a 25% recurrence. Follow-up greater than five years, there was a 31% recurrence. This is something that we know about most pituitary tumors, that if you're going to have a recurrence, it's usually going to happen within the first five years. However, this data report, what we see clinically, is that you can have recurrences later than five years. So it's important to follow patients with these type tumors, any type of tumor really, long term. So typically, for example, after surgery, we'll recommend annual MRIs for three years or so, maybe five years depending on the tumor type. And then after those first three years, maybe every two years for a couple scans, and then you can go to a longer duration. But the point is, you need follow-up lifelong. I've seen recurrences occur as late as 30 years after original surgery, 15, 20, you know. So the fact is, patients need to have the long-term follow-up. This study bears that out and those two uh, differences in the recurrence rate. What I found to be most interesting and somewhat disturbing about this study is that in the in the research that they had done, looking at the papers that they studied for the silent corticotrophadenomas, they found there was really no difference in the recurrence rate in those patients that had the silent corticotrophadenomas and the typical non-functioning pituitary adenomas. And I'm trying to figure out why that's the case, because this is not what I think most pituitary endocrinologists would tell you. Uh, that you're seeing this difference, uh, or seeing no difference in these in these recurrence rates, uh, because I think that um, most would say that the silent corticotrophs are more likely to recur. They're more aggressive. They're larger, perhaps more invasive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it makes me wonder um, whether these studies. Um, that were reported that they use in their meta-analysis um, were by groups that really don't do the same type of pituitary surgery that we do at UCSF. 
Um, our surgeons are tremendous, and I think that we are able to successfully treat many patients with pituitary tumors and get all the tumor out. And then what's left behind uh, may recur or grow back. And I, I don't know that these other centers that published on this topic are as um, skilled, I hate to use the word aggressive in surgery, but skilled or have the clinical judgment necessary to affect a high re- level of cure and uh, with initial surgery that's going to ultimately decrease the recurrence rate. Because I'm, I'm shocked when I look at the recurrence rates of some of the papers that were published in regards to uh, the, the rates of recurrence in patients with non-functioning pituitary adenomas. And um, I would tend to say that if that's the case, they're either seeing very aggressive invasive tumors or uh, the surgeons there aren't uh, doing a very good job of getting all the tumor out in the first place, and thus the recurrence rate is higher. <clears throat> so that was a very curious aspect of this paper to me. I tend to probably believe my, my experience and the results that we have at UCSF rather than the results of this meta-analysis when it basically concludes there's no difference in recurrence rates between these tumors. Uh, so that's my, my thought about that. Let me go on to why tumors recur and why they're, they're um, dastardly and you have to continue this long-term follow-up. First off, uh, pituitary adenomas tend to be locally infiltrative so that basically these tumors, if you will, as they're developing within the pituitary gland, they compress the surrounding pituitary tissue. And some of the, it's not like there's a fine line between this is tumor and that's not tumor. Uh, These tumor cells sort of intersperse themselves within the pituitary, if you will. It's not that fine line. Let's imagine looking at a light. You see the halo of the light and that halo uh, of the light that you may see at night. You can see where the light is, but you see the halo around it. And if you think of that halo as sort of the farther you get from the light, the less the halo is. And I think of some of these tumors that way, in that uh, way, while it may seem well-defined by the surgeon, some of these cells do sort of grow into the surrounding pituitary gland. It's not a defined lesion uh, or area of interface there. Um, I like to think of it as when the surgeon takes out a tumor, it's like taking a yolk out of a hard-boiled egg. And if you take that yolk out very carefully, you're going to see, if you look in the hole of the, of the white part of the egg, uh, you're going to see flecks of yolk. And I think these tumors are the same way. Biopsy studies have shown that uh, even when a surgeon thinks he has all the tumor out, and they biopsy the hole the tumor came from, they still find tumor cells interspersed with normal pituitary gland and little areas of tumor. So I think the yolk analogy is a good one. And what we think probably happens, uh, since the, the recurrence rates are much lower than the proportion of patients that have positive biopsies after tumor removal, what we think happens is that when you get the bulk of the tumor out, you probably strip the blood supply from the little tumor remnants or the little flecks of yolk that are left in, if you use that analogy. Uh, and those little tumor remnants then die off. And probably in some patients, those tumor cells are able to secrete different sort of growth factors for blood vessels, 
grow new blood vessels and continue to form uh, uh, or grow as a tumor deposit and form what we call a recurrent tumor uh, in the future. That's the, the hypothesis. It seems to fit, seems to work, uh, but uh, just keep in mind that's why there's a recurrence anyways. Um, I do believe, as I alluded to before, that the likelihood of recurrence depends on the skill of the surgeon, amongst other things such as degree of invasiveness, tumor location, etc. Uh, uh, some some would say size, uh, but uh, a good surgeon should be able to get most of any tumor out uh, unless it is invasive and the recurrence rate should be much lower with a good surgeon. And I think this paper brings me back to what many of these papers do is says uh, in saying that find yourself a great pituitary surgeon uh, to get the best likelihood of cure and the lowest likelihood of recurrence over time. Uh, and remember, uh, just because your surgeon says he got all the tumor out doesn't mean that you're done. Uh, get your follow-up MRI scan. Stay in touch with the healthcare team that knows how to follow pituitary disease and can uh, diagnose recurrence sooner rather than later because the earlier it's diagnosed and treated, the better off you're going to be. And the, la- the least expensive your overall care is going to be as well. All right, so I hope you found that as interesting as I did, and maybe we've uh, learned a few things, had the ability to think about this problem for a while. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Uh, Once again, Dr. Lewis Blevins, Pituitary World News. Have a wonderful day.